everyone, I'm Jace. And I'm Yiling. Welcome back to a new season of Freelance Creative Exchange, where every episode we talk about freelancing and the gig economy. So a huge thank you to everyone for season one, whoever who have watched us, who have commented and given us feedback and who have shared our podcast and our YouTube channel with your friends. For our season two, we have lined up a series of exciting interviews as well as a change of venue for you. So to kick off, look at where we are here today. We're actually at this new place called Mox, which is a co-sharing space and a community of creative together collaborate, share, and create. And today, we are actually at their flagship store at Katong. Um, if you are here around the area, do drop by and check out the new space for yourself. Right now, we are here with three different makers. Okay, <laughs> one is, let's say hi everyone to Hui Lian, hi everyone. Jason, and Chen Chen. So, um, Hui Lian and Chen Chen, they are both from Craft Atelier. So you guys specialize more in the paper and fabric crafts and they hold workshops for anyone who's interested in getting their hands a little bit dirty. And Jason, Jason, you run more Tinker Minds, which is a 3D printing studio, right? Do you also hold workshops there? Yes. At Tinker Mind? We hold uh, maker education and also 3D printing. Ah, I see. So I understand Chen Chen that you're also involved in Tinker Mind, yes. right? You're also half half the tinkerer yes. over there. <laughs> so can you guys maybe just let's run down the line and give a bit of introduction as to what you guys actually do as crafters, as tinkerers and also um, what your respective companies do. <laughs> Everything else will happen. started, uh, we just wanted to create a space, a studio space where people could craft together. So as to what type of craft we teach, uh, it basically is based on the crafts that we are interested in. So we do paper crafts, we started off with things like rubber stamping, mm -hmm. I did tinker with things like paper quilling, uh, parchment craft, mm -hmm. then we developed also into fibre crafts, and then because Chincha uh, took up weaving, and then she, she was like tempting me to go and learn weaving as well, so we ended up with looms many many looms wow. to the point where it's, it's impossible to keep them at home we needed a space so that's when we decided maybe we would start with a studio space where people could come and learn weaving and other fiber crafts nice. so that's that's how we start so um just to understand you, so what were your background before you actually start this uh, studio space to get into so I, i'm a trained teacher i taught in three different secondary schools for years, and Chen Chen and I were colleagues. Oh wow! So you're both teachers, yes, actually. You're both ex teachers. Oh my yeah. goodness! <clears throat> and our subjects have nothing to do with. <laughs> but that's the whole point, is it? <laughs> it has nothing to do with whatever. So, so this started off more as a passion project for both of us. It's, it's more right? of us sharing the fact that oh, we love to craft. We will get our friends to craft together with us. I mean, anyone who's in my vicinity, within the staff room, knows how to crochet and knit because just because they sit next to me. And oh, nice. That, that, yeah, that's kind of how it started. Right. So we used to like enable people to craft. Then after a while, our friends are like, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. Like, 
for free because we spent a lot of money on our materials and our craft stash and they're like why don't you try and monetize it so that's how we started uh, almost 11 years ago so we used to run workshops like more like freelance if a friend wanted they organized their own groups then they'll pay us and then we'll run the workshop oh that's nice that's like the best stamp of approval and that's when you actually I think a lot of people were like that's actually the point where you should seriously consider starting up on that so so how about Jason then what's your story like were you also a teacher before that no I'm not a teacher <laughs> I'm actually a maker I was from industrial design so oh. I studied industrial design and I like to make things physical physical things be it electronics robots so I got into 3D printing because I uh, doing all the uh, product design projects okay so uh, it's a good way for prototyping then we can iterate do a lot of changes from the 3d printing because it's very fast mm. then after that I get a chance to meet uh, Chen Chen and the rest of our couple of friends then we get together and decided to start Tinkermine I see mm. so Tinkermine as a company um, you guys not do you do commission projects as well yeah, we does. Yeah, so, what kind of commission projects do you have? Mainly for commercial designs. So that's that's our side project. Our main focus is more of uh, workshops. But uh, sometimes for side projects like uh, design, shoe designs, or in fact like prototyping, like mock-ups, like toys mock-ups and all that, we do. Oh, okay. Mm. So you mentioned, Jason, you mentioned about toy design. Is that, um, I understand that you were also a character designer oh, yes. before you went into this. Yeah. Right. So, so were you doing uh, character designing as a freelance back then? Or? Yes, before this, just before this, I was doing character design for games and for animations. Mm. Then uh, I wanted to move into, because we create characters, but it remains 2D. So I want to do it like a, like a 3D print out as, as a toy, then to sell. So um, I dabble around with that and then it's uh, created more attention on that. Do you still do that? Unique. Do you still do that? Like it's more for fun. Yeah. <laughs> more for fun. <laughs> but recently Jason did uh, work on a mascot design like for some people to convert what they had in mind in like, 2D into 3D so that they could consider like whether they want to go into like mass production. Oh, yeah. okay, 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 that's interesting. So how about yourself and Chen Chen? Like how do you get involved in I mean, Craft Atelier, you did yeah. share with us, right? Mm-hmm. But how about Tinker Minds? Um, okay, so when I was a teacher in school, I, I did uh, oversee a lot of talent development programs. So mm-hmm. part of the things that we do is creative problem solving and uh, making. So I, we would select programs where students would get a chance to make. So that's part of developing their creativity. So that's how I first, uh, my first foray into 3D printing. So uh, I moved to the US for about two years when my husband did his uh, master's studies. So that's where I encountered weaving. Um, Then when I came back, I was actually approached um, by my father-in-law actually. He was like, um, you know, 3D printing is, seems to be the future technology. Um, His counterparts in like China and Korea talk about how it's taught in schools. So he asked me, oh, did your school teach it? And I was like, we didn't. We had some exploratory project, but we don't teach it. And my children don't actually learn it in school. So I think his point is, then that's not, we're not raising a generation of makers. We're just going to raise a generation of kids who are very good at studying, but maybe not doing more than that. So he said, could you potentially round up a group of people who 
will want to help push maker education in Singapore mm. and he would come in to support us. Mm. Yeah, so when I went around to like my friends who are creatives and asked around, that's how I got to know Jason because Jason's wife actually teaches my children art. Oh. Yeah, so I was like, you know, uh, talking to her, saying that we want to have this venture, that she know people involved, and she's like, oh, you know what, Jason does this. So that's how we got we uh, met Jason, and it was very, um, and quite coincidental that we met the other founders in the company at various 3D printing related events, mm. and then we all came together and said, you know, yes, 3D printing as a technology is great. We enjoy dabbling it with it. But if we wanted to introduce it as a technology, we had to make it fun to learn. Like we had to find a way to attract young people to want to do it. Mm. Uh, so that's how Thinkermind kind of came about. Ah, yeah. So from the time that you started to explore this idea to the time that you really set up Thinkermind, mm. so how long does it take and what's the process like? It took us about... Okay, so from when I was first approached to do this, it, this was about in June last year. Um, then we started to do a couple of road shows, like we tried out at Carousel Land to just see what's the public response to it. Because it's a very new technology, would parents pay for their children to come to these workshops versus going to tuition? You know, there's, there's always a trade-off. Yeah. yeah. So at Carousel Land, we were very encouraged, there was a lot of interest. Parents were, they've heard about 3D printing as a technology, but they never thought children could learn it. Oh. Yeah, so there was a lot of interest in it. Um, then that's when we started to get the ball rolling, form up the team, uh, talk about you know setting up a company. Um, so we were formally registered as a company in October, like late September, October. So mm -hmm. the run was very short. That's like three months. But we figured if you want to do it, we should do it quick. Yeah, you have to be a you fast know, mover. Be, be, right? be fast, um, get it going, and don't drag our feet over it. Yeah. So which idea comes first? Is the craft atelier idea come first or the tinker mind? Yeah, craft atelier was 11, oh, craft 11, 11 years. Yeah, craft atelier, we, we started uh, 11 years ago, but we didn't actually register a company yeah. then. We just, because we were freelance and we were all still teachers. Just so sort of a, still a hobby kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, we couldn't, because we wanted to register a company when you were a teacher, you actually had to get approval from <gasps> ministry. You had to declare. So we're like, you know what? We weren't going to make it a full-time thing anyway. So yeah. we just do it on the side. Um, then in the two years that I was in the US, so when I learned, weav learned weaving, I told Huilin, you know, it's been 10 years since we've talked about having a studio eventually mm -hmm. with Crafatilia. Like if we don't do it, another 10 years is going to pass. And we would still be at where we always are mm -hmm. as freelancers. And you don't get many gigs for us because we had a fixed work schedule as teachers. Yeah. So we had to turn down any opportunity that clashed with our teaching schedule. So that's when I said, you know what? 10 years has been a very long time. Should we just like throw all caution to the wind and just register a company? And she was like, uh, okay. So I like pretty much dragged her into it. I was like, okay, we're going to register in July. Then we're going to find a space and that's it. We're going to get started. <laughs> so they got like, Tender together. You guys uh, were in the same school, right? We were previously. Yeah. By the time then, she moved to the yeah. US, uh, I had moved on to another school. Oh, because you, you came from a very stable, rather stable yes. job, right? And then you you came from um, I think something that was super structured. Yeah, to something where and you've been doing it for I mean years really before that. <laughs> It was it was a hobby for you guys. I think that's what a lot of the freelancers that we, we have and a lot of people um, with this creative streak 
are asking as well. I'm in a very stable job. I am, um, you know, I can support my family here. I'm content here to a certain extent. But at what stage do you, I guess you had that opportunity to go overseas and come back and then it, it was a turning point for you. But you were sort of, still, you were still in a very stable position. Yes. So, so I had to be coerced into it. <laughs> <laughs> so after, after we, we've been talking about it for a while, but the major decision actually came, I think, mostly after I took up weaving as well. So before weaving, most of my hobbies could be done at home. I have the space for it, I have the supplies, I have got the means to do what I do with it. But once I started weaving, it becomes difficult because while you could weave on small loops, there are many things that you would rather do on a big loom. That's true. So if I were to install a big loom, my dream loom in my house, I would have to move a lot of stuff out of my house. <laughs> so that's one consideration. Yeah. And then the idea of not having a stable income, uh, not having a regular salary, it's something I had to grapple with for a while. Yeah. Because uh, as I took on more responsibilities, it becomes uh, more of a, what if this doesn't work? That, that question is always there. Of course. So, so what is that one thing that you say, okay lah, you know? Yeah, because that's a huge question. That's a huge question. What if it doesn't I work, I know I should have right? done it. So there was an ultimator. Well, I guess, I guess it helped that I have, I have been uh, quite prudent in saving up. So it helped that I, I was able to think carefully and say, okay, I have some money saved up. I could probably support myself without income for maybe two years. If it doesn't work, at least I've tried for that two years. I wouldn't have lost much other than uh, some money. I would still be able to feed myself. Yeah, so that's fine. I wouldn't have to go to my parents for money. That's a major consideration. Yeah. So that, that helped. Yeah. Right. So how about yourself, Jason? Is it very different from working alone as a freelance character designer mm. uh, you know, slash industry designer to now setting out a company, you know, working together with uh, Chen Chen? And you have to invest in equipment and the yeah. space, yeah. Is it a very different transition for you? It is. Um, so I wasn't having a stable income all along. Then uh, thinking about the collaboration here, we have uh, a seed investor to help uh, sustain that certain uh, stability. Although uh, that's being said, we also have to work on towards a certain goal to help have the, the, uh, the balance, to, to meet the balance of the, the income. So it's, uh, it's how we push towards that direction. Thinker Mind and Craft Atelier was a bit different. In, like Jason said, uh, Thinkermind was very fortunate to have a seed investor who would come in and say, we'll help you, I'll help you with the startup costs, mm. like the equipment costs and all of that. I'll come in and help you. So the investor bore most of the financial risk. So for, I think, the founders of Thinkermind, it's more of the lost, uh, the income that we now draw may be lower than if we had taken a full-time job, but there wasn't the initial startup capital that we needed. For Craft Atelier, we actually had to pull in our own money. Mm. I think 
the, the turning point, like they said, was really weaving. Because when we were doing freelance, like teaching knitting, rubber stamping, uh, the market is competitive. Uh, we, we weren't the only people who were doing it. But for weaving, uh, it's very new in Singapore. And if we were the first players to open a weaving studio, we basically have first, first movers advantage. And we were very realistic. I mean, I told her, and I told her um, she would have to go full time because uh, the initial plan was for me to do full time because I've already left my job to move to the US for two years uh, and for her to do part time. But within the first two months, we were losing business opportunities again. Like, there were people who we couldn't like, do lessons for because we just couldn't have the time for it. Mm. So that's why I told her, I think um, the part-time arrangement is not going to work if we really want to maximize our first mover's advantage. And we're very realistic. We told ourselves, this is how much we'll put in. And in two years' time, if it doesn't work out, we accept reality and we get back to our day job. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot of that um, practical consideration mm. that we you don't normally hear like, people who start business, they won't tell you that part of it because it's the boring part of it. Yeah. They'll tell you the exciting things. So I, I, I think, yeah, that's important for yeah. anyone who wants to start something new to bear in mind. There's actually a very boring aspect of it, like accounts, money, yeah, that nobody talks about. We only talk about it when we have a lot of money. Yeah. So <laughs> at this point, nobody talks about it because we're not at that stage yet. <laughs> okay. yeah. I think a lot of things like everybody's a bit afraid of jinxing it. Yeah. Like the moment you start saying it, like, oh man, oh, what's yeah. going to happen? <laughs> there's a growing, I think there's a growing maker trend, or you know, at least a craft trend in Singapore. So yeah, what, what makes weaving special? I think we were fortunate that modern weaving has already picked up in like countries like the US, Europe. Um, wall hangings are now like very big on Instagram and it's all made through weaving. So when you see weaving, the concept is not new to people. Uh, but the weaving that we do is more for wearables, so it's more fabric. Uh, so that is different and the tools and the equipment that you use is slightly different. The concept is like the fundamental concepts are the same, but it's executed differently. So for us, when we first started, um, a lot of people assumed what we did was very close to the wall hanging. So they felt like, oh, there are other people who teach it anyway. So it took us a while. We had to do a lot of um, conversations with people, post a lot of things on our social media, uh, reach out first to maybe our network of friends to try. And then slowly the word start to spread. Mm. Uh, we were very fortunate that one of my friend, one of my really, really good friend does, uh, she buys hand-woven products, baby wraps. Hand-woven baby wraps are like the biggest thing now among mummies in Singapore. So she came by and she said, have you considered going into this market? Yeah, and we were like, um, not really. We're not sure if we know enough to go in. And she was like, tell you what, you do a pilot with me. I want to weave my own wrap and you work with me as your guinea pig and you can learn from that experience and if you think this is a market you want to go into, I will help you by sharing my product with people and then you will get that interest that come in. So I think that's uh, a good part of how like, we started to kick off um, the momentum. Then after a while we had crocheters, knitters who were like, oh you also want to do weaving, then they came and they helped to spread the word. And I mean, I think where we are now, a lot of it is like a lot of it is thankful for all these people. Yeah, because we had we had a student who has been exploring uh, weaving as a possibility. Yeah, because three D printing as well, like like you mentioned as well, right? It's it's, it's um 
it's been mentioned a lot of talked a, a lot about in various other neighboring countries and so uh, but in Singapore it's also a very huge and growing market and I think that I mean it's quite competitive as well uh, I'm not sure about workshops but I know in terms of 3d printing studios or you know people who offer services or prototypes um, I, I see a few popping up so you know what kind of uh, competition is there in the market and how do you make yourself stand out in such a in, in, in a very fast-paced growing Right, so we are, okay, for ThinkerMind, we want to advocate more of the introductory side. So because 3D printing is very new, and a lot of the technologies are not, like, people will feel that there's a restriction against this uh, new technology, there's this barrier that they need to cross. So after they cross this, they can go those industrial grade uh, 3D printers and all that. But we want to have ThinkerMind as the barrier breaker to bridge that gap between the First industrial step. side, yes. Mm. So we, we introduce our 3D printing technology in a very friendly way with simple projects and more easily attainable goals. So that's how we get started and differentiate us from the rest. And I see, I mean, I'm hearing for all three of you as well, right? Um, nowadays with the use of social media, it, it has been a starting point or a turning point for a lot of people into deciding that they want to start tinkering around you know you know start making things be it from little toys and prototypes to starting to to crochet starting to knit starting to do a bit of um, you know woodwork or whatever we have here so how crucial do you think social media has been in shaping what you guys do personally and in a very professional and business sense and how have you guys been making use of that as well to further your you know thinker mind as well as Craftatilia? I think for us social media for at least for Craftatilia uh, was very useful for us to get a lot of inspiration from that's how we learned a lot of the uh, crafting that we do like we join groups on Facebook the discussion the exploration especially um, for weaving especially, because there are many weavers in Singapore. Um, a lot of the more experienced weavers actually are overseas. So that's a way for us to get new ideas of what to do. So personally, I think that's where the professional development come in. Um, there's also a lot of professional development for us for social media, because we are not social media natives. So we always had to learn like, how to take the best pictures and everything. Um, it's definitely been very useful to promote our business. I think a lot of the people who come in to Craftatilia now, uh, previously a lot of it was like people that we knew personally. Um, now it's more people who just chance upon our work um, through other, like they were searching for something else and they were through many connections got to us and come in. So it's really been quite a game changer and we're still working very hard on mastering it. Um, for ThinkerMind, personally, I think um, I have to add at this point. Like, I mean, Jason was being very humble just now. Like when we first started the workshop, you asked what's the what would be the differentiating. Yeah. I think uh, a couple of us who had been in the education uh, industry be before we became founders of ThinkerMind were like, okay, we'll do it this way. Mm. And then Jason came in and was like, no, 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 you do this way, it's not interesting, it's not fun. It has to be fun. It has to be creative. The whole user experience, the the graphic, the look of it has to already catch people. And I think that's the 
critical part about social media like whatever you put up there must immediately attract your audience it must be very yes, visually it must be visually very engaging and very attractive and Jason was like whatever they do at the workshop has to be that you know don't, don't deal with the technical part of it first deal with the bring them through the door then you can deal with the everything the boring part after that but at least they've come in they've converted as a customer so I think that was very important that was something I learned from Jason which he didn't say because he's very very humble about it <laughs> But maybe it's, it's your experience of being a, a visual artist yes. in that sense coming through as well. <laughs> right. So, Jason, which, um, what would you say are your target audiences for Tinamite? Right now, for which are the specific, do you specifically target a specific group of people to bring them in first and convert them? Or how do you go about your social media uh, marketing processes? We are currently focusing more on children and towards our teenager side but we are also open to adults because they are the ones who bring in their children so uh, some of the media for for example our, our social media site we tend to create our graphics to appeal both kids and adults so because um, now it's a very visual age you have to make your graphics being able to like catch attention in seconds so it's very important to select like, different colors and uh, different graphic styles to match what the, the target market that we want, which is like more towards children. And we believe that it's a good age for them to start because the current society is more focusing on like, studies. So we, especially in Singapore, we are trying to change that mindset and engage them more in like physical, making more physical things rather than just everything remain 2D. Mm. Yeah. So I'm actually very excited about um, this or what you guys do, uh, you know, because even though I like to make stuff, I don't have a lot of time in making craft. You know, all these things about talking about weaving and uh, crocheting or even 3D printing are things that I think not only me, I have to say, you see like in social media, a lot of people doing it. And say, oh, now it's so accessible, right? Uh, but I'd like to talk more about um, the future of where all this is going you know as you guys mentioned right now uh, we are sort of in a transitionary st stage here in Singapore but more and more people are picking it up and you know especially both of you come from this uh, unique background of coming from a very traditional um, education system right I mean we all come from traditional education system I'm sorry it's just that you guys had your hand in actually influencing it as well and now you're moving towards like no 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 it should be more of you know should have a slightly different focus mm. so um how do you see this this craft and maker uh movement going in the future do you see it going to actually leaking into our uh official education system or do you think it will, or do you hope it will be, you know? Do you think it's good? Or do you think um, it, it, it should remain as something like this, you know, to, to help bloom the, the homemaker and um, uh, businesses like yours as well? All, all three of you. <laughs> I guess making things has always been part of my life so I see it as a natural extension of what I do. Uh, for young kids these days it may not be the case because some of the 
the school curriculum has already shifted out of uh, doing things like design technology, home economics. Mm. They, they have taken it up in a lot of schools. Really? Yeah, so some schools what? don't have... They don't have the technical uh, studio anymore. They're yeah. so sad. Yeah. So they sorry, I really the, didn't know this. They don't have workshops anymore. Yeah. Some schools are taking out basic things like sewing. So they don't go to the, the home ec room and learn sewing anymore. Actually, I hated that when I was school. Oh, I <laughs> love that. I, I, I had D&T. Yeah, so... I had to come out and learn how to sew my own skirt, you know. So difficult. So if you don't have this as part of your, your formal education, which we used to have, because all of us had to go through it, mm. it then means that you are having a generation with uh, very little um, contact with certain life skills. Yeah. Mm. Like you don't know how to sew a button on. Mm. That's just one test. So I think, I think if we could get people interested, mm. um, just to learn something, mm. it may not be the, the most interesting thing. But you know, you learn to work with your hands, mm -hmm. and I think that is something that is a better use of time than something else like staring at the screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's that's uh, something we hope to get people interested. Yeah, how about Jason? Okay, in the past, uh, many people study because they need information, they need knowledge to to get a job, to get a stable job. But for now, we're talking about future. There's AI coming up, there's machine learning coming up. A lot of people are afraid of them taking over their jobs. So what's important, I believe, is being able to, as us as human, uh, having a certain skill set and using a physical way of learning to differentiate us from machines. Because anything, the information now, you can just go Google it. And you don't need someone to teach you on that information. You can just Google that information. So if we are constantly studying just on the information side, it's easily taken over by a machine. So how are we going to do is uh, ap applying those maker education and then teaching it to the kids so that they can use the applied learning to learn from the, the skill set and then apply the knowledge into actual physical way. It's actually a very good point because I was listening again to another um, another speech or interview by uh, of Jack Ma, okay, and he was actually saying exactly that you know where AI is coming up and uh, computer learning is coming up. Computers are smarter than humans, um, so if people are focusing too much on teaching uh, themselves or their kids how to compete with you, the machines, it's never going to work. It's not about how fast you calculate something, it's not how, about how big a number you can get to because the computer is always going to be better at you in that, you know. So why compete in that? These, these computers are there to help you to do those things. So how about Chen Chen, yeah. uh, for you, like, I mean, because you are coping with both, right? So do you have different outlook for both of them or do you have different expectations? For I think for me, actually they aren't that different. I mean, I'm a, I'm a parent myself. So when I ask myself like, how, how, would, how is it that I would pick up craft or like even new technology so easily? I mean, I wouldn't say it's so easily, but I am able to learn. And I realized a lot of it has got to do with the fact that um, my parents, when we were young, always um, wanted us to be able to 
you know, tinker around with things. My dad used to always say, you know, um, in Chinese, 东西是死的, but 不过人脑是活的. So he always tell us, like, yeah, this thing can only be, you really think it can only be used one way. Actually, it's up to your mind to find another use for it. And so, like, with crafting, sometimes we find hacks because part of craft philosophy is we don't insist that you need to buy certain products and all the accessories that come with it. Um, because there are ways to work around options. Like, okay, maybe for a loom, you need to buy the loom, but the loom comes with accessories that other everyday objects could possibly replace, right? Because you don't have to spend all the money on the accessories. And the same with tinkering, like 3D printing or maker education. It's about looking at the resources that you have and using them differently. I think in schools, maybe we need to move away from a model where we teach like sewing there's a fixed curriculum because there's going to be some people who will enjoy it right like yourself mm. some people who would want to run away from it um, so rather than teach a very fixed and standard curriculum and children end up like students end up getting a fear for something we could teach it like maker education we embrace what each child might want to learn like my three kids are very different two of them are handicrafters so they'll do weaving with me they'll do rubber stamping but my so my second child was middle child. She doesn't like handicraft. But her way of making things is she likes to draw, she likes to create, she mm. likes to sketch. A lot of it happens in her mind. So something like uh, visualization, 3D modeling works for her because that's how her mind translates making. And I think maybe that's what we need. Because I, I really do not know what kind of hand skills, like what particular technology or what particular craft I should teach them so that they would be able to have a very successful future. But if I can teach them that actually with anything, it's about innovating and creating new things, then I think that's where they will have a one-up over any kind of AI. Because AI is, they learn through a repetitive. They might not look for new innovations that quickly that the human mind potentially could. So do you see moving forward, right, in, both in, in the businesses that you guys run, is it going to be focusing a lot more on the um, what you say maker education or is it going to be uh, are you guys looking to expand this in uh, other forms the businesses mainly focused in maker education yeah I think we will all probably still remain focused on our um, like where we sort of specialise in now but I think it's now looking for opportunities to collaborate like working with other people in this space or other people outside of this space to come together because I think our specialties still help to some, to some extent. Um, I don't think it's possible for us to like do everything by ourselves. So it's about bringing together that network. I guess a, a bit like how you all would serve as an agency for freelancers, right? Coming together. So you guys heard it here first. You guys can actually come over to Mox. It's actually a very uh, interesting space over here. So you know, as you walk up the three different levels, of the building which they occupy, you can see um, the different studios that are here and you can actually see, you know, you can see maybe Jason working at the 3D printer, Chen Chen and Hui Lian also working in Craft Atelier and a lot of other makers here. Since it has been a while, you have been working together, right? So, and we have been talking a lot about the business aspect of, you know, of setting up your workshops and like that. So, but what are some of the practical challenges you that that you have achieved when you're as a team. What are the challenges and how do you actually overcome them? Um, yeah, yeah. So we have different beliefs. We have we come from different backgrounds. I'm a creative uh, background and she's an education background. 
But we need both of us, both of us to move on to our same goal, which is the maker education. So it's essential for us to work together and understand each other's needs and thinking. Then from there to work towards something that the, the line where both of us can meet. How about um, Wei Lian and Chen Chen? Do you, I mean, you all know each other for so long, right? <laughs> yeah. But we are quite we are quite fortunate that um, I think whatever jobs or whatever uh, whatever we are good at, we tend to say, okay, I'm good at this, so I think it'd be better if I do this. Mm -hmm. So so that's how we kind of work things out. So like um, tidying up the place, organizing it. <laughs> Making sure things are running, making sure the electrical bills are paid, <laughs> making sure the accounting is done. These are not my strong points. I'll just say. I could see like uh, some so, agreement. So I think like a lot of people think that like if you form a team, you need to form up with people who think the same way as you. Uh, but that's also a bit dangerous because then you end up in an echo chamber where you only hear the things you want to hear. Like nobody challenges your view, and. In a business, I think you constantly need to be asking yourself, did the plans that we have or did the perspective I took towards this business, is it truly relevant now? Because you need to be able to pivot your business. So like Hui Lian say, there are times you don't agree and you can tell because we both have very black faces in the studio <laughs> and we're like, oh. please do not approach them then. <laughs> yeah. So, but I accept that there are certain crafts where she is stronger, like some parts of it, like if you know if she says this pattern has to be done this way and this is the way it should be taught, then I, I concede because she does know more than me in that area. Um, but I try to support her in other ways because like to execute that particular lesson, there needs to be maybe a lot of admin work that comes with it. And I know she, she doesn't like admin work, but my mind works well. I don't like it, but my mind accepts and generates it very well. Mm. So then I would say, okay, so if we're going to do it this way, then this is what I would do. You know, sometimes she gets very excited with her crafting, and she plans like, all these things in the lesson, and I'm like, like in the workshop, I'm like, uh, well, then let's be realistic. Like, you could do it in three hours, but like maybe the rest of the world would need like an entire day to do it. So maybe we want to trim back and not be too ambitious. And she's like, you know what? You're right. Because she's had experience where the class didn't go as she's planned. Mm. So I think that's useful. I mean, like Jason say, um, for thinker mind, like when it comes to workshop, yes, he wants it to be very creative. But I also tell him, when we run a workshop in the school, the school has certain expectations. They want the learning objectives to be met. Like the fun part can be sacrificed. Because in a school, it's like we still have outcomes to deliver at the end of the day to our stakeholders. So I always tell Jason, okay, then we need to tone back. Yeah, sometimes he was like, but it'll be a very boring lesson. I'm like, if you want the business, we're just going to have to do it this way. Like, like it or not, this is the way it has to be done. And it's, I know he goes away going like, oh, this is so boring. So I think if you want to start a, a business team, you need to expect that there'll be that storming. But I think everybody in the team needs to know that we agree to disagree. We all come in with our own strengths. And when we disagree, it's not personal. Like, it's, it's not a personal attack against you. It's just we all want the best for this business. 
we all have this common goal. You need to have a very strong goal that the business is working towards mm -hmm. and you come back to it. Like, so we set up this company for this purpose and we may all disagree on how we get there, but at the end of the day, we would you know, talk it out if we need to argue it out, but we know whatever decisions we make, we make it with this goal in mind. Mm. Yeah. So I think, I think that's very important for any kind of team actually, but specifically in business. Because you really do not want to be an echo chamber where people tell you things are very, very good when it's not very good. Like when your numbers show that it's not very good, you need someone in the team to say, look, we're not earning money. So let's all wake up and pivot our business. So yeah. have you reached a point in time where you really have this conversation saying, look, you know, we're not making money, so how do we make money? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have been at this point where we would say what we wanted to start out doing is not bringing in the revenue mm. and something else that we didn't think we wanted to do mm. is bringing in the revenue. Mm. Like, um, like, I mean, just for Crafatilia, like baby wrap weaving, um, initially we wanted a model where a lot of the work is done by the mom who wants to weave the wrap, uh, but we're realizing that there is an obstacle for many moms to get to that level. Mm. So we had to go back and ask ourselves, do we want to do some of the work for the mummies. Initially, we weren't very keen, but now we're like, okay, maybe if this is going to bring in the money, we'll have to do it this way. Yeah. And even likewise for yeah, Tinkermine. Yeah. So for Tinkermine, there is, because our Singapore, and even many places, the, the trend is on easily getting things, like buying and all that, but we want to focus on making. But that is a slow process. So not a lot of people are acceptable to that. So it takes some time for uh, sign-ups and also learning interest to, to grow. And most people will go to the simple, simple method where you can just buy off the shelf or pay you to pay us to make for them. Then we have to debate whether which is our focus and which is the things that make us uh, the, give us the money. So there are, there are ways and challenges for us to make decisions on that. Mm. So right now, it seems like um, both craft are very much um, targeting just in Singapore. Do you also have overseas clients or do you also get people who thank you on your social media from overseas that really like what you're doing? You know, do you have a plan to go out and get... Uh, yeah, do you plan on expanding overseas? overseas? Yeah. Um, I think Tinkermine has a plan mm. to eventually go regional. Um, for Craft Atelier, we never thought of going regional, but no. we've had customers approach us from Malaysia Indonesia. and Indonesia. Yeah. So we had a customer who came in from Indonesia. Oh. Wow! She, just... she wanted to do spinning, and she wanted to get a spinning wheel. So she approached one company, and the company said, "Oh, we are the local dealer. Come find us. We are the region." So she actually flew over. Wow! Yeah, just after uh, before Chinese. Yeah, just before Lunar New Year, right? Yeah. Just before, and she's like, "Okay." I think this is what I want to do. Can I have a session with you and, and learn how to do that? And then she brought home a wheel in parts. She was all packed up and then in a, in a hand luggage. Yeah. So, and then because she's actually a manufacturer of yarns, so she's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to break into the local market. Is there a way you could collaborate? So that is something that we're thinking of doing. So you really never know where it comes from. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> we never thought we would go that far yeah. in Malaysia and Indonesia. So that was like completely unplanned. Whereas for Tinkermine, there 
I mean, that's our long-term goal mm. that we could go into our region. I mean, if we see this as being beneficial for the children in Singapore, then it should also likewise be beneficial for children all around the world. Mm. Yeah, so that's probably what we want to do, but still a bit far from that. <laughs> one step at a time. Yes, one yes. Step. But thank you so much for all the sharing. It's yes. been great, right? I'm sure our audiences will pick up more tips or two from your audience. Yeah. So, um, so it's just one last question um, you know, that we asked the speakers of our previous episode as well, of our previous season. So this question is, if you can give one piece of advice to your younger self, what would that be? You can take some time to think about it, you don't have to answer this right away. But you know, if you can give yourself one piece of advice um, in your younger self, to your younger self, right, what would that be? I think my advice to my younger self would have been uh, keep doing what I was doing. I think um, some people wonder if I would have told my younger self to take the risk of starting this earlier. But I actually don't think so. I think I came into this at a very good time for myself. I've gotten a lot of skills from the other jobs that I've done in the past, which I now look at what I'm doing and I feel is very relevant. Um, so sometimes... Um, don't need to be discouraged. If your current path, like your current trajectory, doesn't feel like you're going where you, like, you know, like maybe five or six years ago, I'd be like, oh gosh, you know, we couldn't get Crafatilia to go like into a big studio like we thought we wanted to when we first set it up. But I didn't need to worry about it. I feel that uh, there was a time and place for things. We were picking up skills that was useful. We were also bidding our time because I think if we had gone full time, then it wouldn't have it wouldn't have taken off. off. Yeah. So sometimes it's useful to just know that things happen. Just keep your eyes open for opportunities and always keep learning. Until the time when it's right for you to do something. See everything else that you do as a learning opportunity. Yeah. I think that is important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice words. Yeah. How about you? Well I guess if I were to have a chance to do it over again, if I could tell my younger self something, I would say stuff that I wanted to learn 20 years ago, uh, don't hesitate, just go for it. There, there are things that I picked up really late, like leaving, I only picked it up in recent years, but I was interested in it for a really long time. I just didn't feel that it was accessible because there, there isn't anyone teaching in Singapore and the thought of going overseas to learn something wasn't that strong. I was like, how, how am I supposed to do this? You know, how do I go about doing this? So, yeah, that would have been what I told myself. For me, is in the past, I tend to think too much in things where even something that I want to do, I tend to think too much and then end up not doing it. So, what I want to tell my younger yes. self is don't think too much, just do, just do what you like to do and just uh, something that you enjoy, just go ahead and do it. Great piece of advice. Yeah. Great. Great. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for to the audience as well for tuning in to another episode of our freelance creative exchange. Actually, in fact, it's our first episode of our second season of freelance creative exchange. So if you have liked this episode and would like to see a lot more of our freelancers and makers and tinkerers alike, do go ahead and click the like button. And you know, if you have any questions for us, you have any comments or feedback, feel free to leave it down in the comment section below. Even any questions for our makers and drinkers that we have with, here, uh, with us here today. So 